Good morning, City Walk Church. You guys all right? Yeah. They, they put, the, the clock is right here. It's so much closer to me on this day. So if I go over today, it's like, come on, it's right here. They can flash, stop talking right here, and I can see it and ignore it every time. Well, thank you guys for being here. I know today was a little different day, being on the opposite side of the campus. If you, had, if you have kids and you had to run the marathon to get to the kids' room, God bless you. You've already got all 10,000 steps in for your day. You can go eat as much as you want for your Mother's Day lunch. Uh, but we're, we're thankful for the school and, and just how they were able to flex a little bit with us and uh, allow us to use this space. Next week on March or May 19th, uh, as you probably know, we've talked about it for several weeks. Uh, we're going to have a really special day at City Walk Church. We're going to have a, a day where we leave our church clothes at home and we come here and we serve our school. And so next week we'll be back on the other side of the campus, but instead of going in and, and singing and, and listening, uh, we got uh, three or four projects that we're going to take about an hour and we're going to, with our kids, we're going to just serve this school and do some things for them that would just show them that we love them and appreciate them. And so next week, 10.30, other side of the campus, we're going to just serve the school for about an hour, hour and a half, and then we're going to have lunch together. And so if you uh, can be there, man, don't stay home because it's going to be one of those days where we're going to get to be the church instead of coming to church. And that's what we want to do. And so that's next week. Then the following week, we'll be back in the, the multi-purpose room from now till Jesus comes or somebody gives us a building to have church in. Uh, and so, uh, but thank you for your flexibility. Uh, the last few weeks, is, if you've been here, uh, we have been doing some, some questions, some, working through some questions that uh, all of us have had, whether you're somebody who's a longtime follower of Christ, or maybe you're here today because your mother-in-law told you if you wanted lunch, you were coming to church, and so you came with because you, you thought, man, free lunch out of this deal. Uh, and so it doesn't matter why you're here, probably all of us at some point have grappled with some big questions about God and about Christianity. And our goal over the last couple of weeks in this series hasn't been to kind of answer all the questions real cleanly and put it in a real nice box with a bow on it and all go out and understand everything. But our goal has been to maybe look at some perspectives and insights about some of those big questions that we may or may not have, have looked at before. And, and unfortunately, the church has not always done a great job being a place where you can bring your questions, where you can bring your doubts, where you can, can, can have conversations about some of those things. And so this series has been really helpful to all of us, whether you find yourself in the lane of skeptic, and, and maybe you're here and you'd say, you know what, for me, Chris, I don't buy into this whole Jesus thing. I may be investigating faith, maybe you're atheist or an agnostic, and you'd say, you know what, I'm here, but I, I don't buy into all this. And if that's the lane that you're in, what we've tried to do for you is just ask you, hey, would you be willing to maybe question some of your questions? Would you be willing to maybe lean in a little bit and maybe doubt some of the doubts that you've had? And if you're somebody that you'd say, Chris, I, I find myself in the lane of longtime follower of Jesus, and, and if that's the lane you're in, then, then what we want you to do in this series is understand why you believe what you believe, 
and really be able to articulate why you follow Jesus. And so whichever lane you're in, this series is is for us, and, and we've asked ourselves some questions that we've all had. The first week we talked about pain and suffering. And, and no matter what lane you're in, you've, you've at some point in your life, you've watched something on TV happening in another part of the world, or you've experienced something in your own life, and you've said, why God? Why is this happening? You may not even totally believe in God, but you've said, why? This isn't right. How could you be good and powerful and that be happening? And so we, we unpacked that question a little bit the first week. And then last week, the question that we dealt with is, is one that probably you've had, and it's the question of, is the Bible reliable? Can I trust the Bible? The, the idea of the Bible says is not a good answer. Why does the Bible say that? Why do you believe that? And, and for some of us, man, you may have grown up in a, in a situation where, where you were just always taught the Bible's God's word and you just took it as is. And, and last week what we tried to do is take off the church and pastor hat and put on the intellectually honest hat and grapple with that question. Is the Bible, from an intellectually honest perspective, is it reliable? Is it reliable compared to other historic documents? Is it reliable? So we unpack that. And this week what we want to do very quickly is we want to unpack another question that you've probably had. And it's simply this. What is the starting point for Christianity? You, you say, why, why would we ask that question? It's, and here's why. Because it's probably not what you think it is. And so you may be someone that's skeptical of Christianity and maybe skeptical of faith, and you possibly could have walked away from Christianity for the wrong reason. You might have walked away from something that isn't even the real foundation of this whole thing. And so what is the starting point for Christianity? Everything has a starting point. You had a starting point. You might have been planned. Or you might have been unplanned, but you had a starting point. Somebody might have had too many drinks one night, and that might have been what your starting point was. But at the end of the day, every single one of us had a starting point. Your marriage, your relationships, your career had a starting point. And, and if you decide, if you're skeptical of faith, if you decide to engage Jesus and, and really become a person of faith, it should and will have a starting point. And we want to talk about that. Because according to kind of how you grew up, you probably were given kind of a framework for faith. Where, where, where somebody gave you kind of a framework that you had to fit everything right in. And, and the framework had statements like this. The Bible says God is good. That was you know, something you were taught when you were young, and it was kind of part of the framework. The Bible says God punishes evil and rewards good. Some of you, you were, you were somewhere where somebody preached like fire, hell, brimstone, and you literally had hell scared out of you. I mean, and that's the framework you grew up in. You, you probably, like I was, was taught the Bible says, says that God answers prayer. That was part of the framework. The Bible says God speaks, and, and that was part of the framework, and there was Bible stories to go with that. 
And I'm not saying those things aren't true, but you probably were given some type of a framework to kind of fit faith in. And according to your tradition, you, you may have even been given like the, your tradition's favorite version of God. So, so your tradition might have had a, a kind of a favorite go-to version of God. For some of you, the version of God you grew up with was the, the hedge of protection God. Like every prayer that you ever heard when you were growing up, people were praying for a hedge of protection. And you're like, what is that with the bushes? I don't understand the hedge. If, if I want God's protection, can I get an army, not a bush? And that was what, man, everybody was praying a hedge of protection around you. Or, or maybe the, the version of God that you kind of grew up with was the on-demand God. It's like, well, if I do this and I do this, then God's going to respond the way I would respond, and he's going to do this. And that's just kind of the version you grew up with. It was kind of the, God, God's kind of a one plus one equals two all the time with God. So if I do this and this, this happens. You might have grown up with kind of the emotive God. Everything was deep and felt and, and man, the campfire and you threw your stick in and that song and the way you felt during that song and, and, and that, that conference you went to and everything was like, man, I feel God, I feel God. And, and again, nothing wrong with that, but that for you might have been the version of God you grew up in and then there was a time that you didn't feel God and you started to question. And so all of us grew up with some type of a framework, whether you are a follower of Christ or not, to kind of put faith and the starting point of it kind of in that framework. But then something happened. You grew up. And your childlike faith didn't do as well under the rigors of adult life. And you started to say, yeah, God is good, but... I've seen this, and I've seen this, and I've seen this. God punishes evil and rewards good, but I've seen this and this, and sometimes it seems like it's the opposite. God answers prayer, but, but you know what? I prayed that, that that family wouldn't go through what they're going through, and they still did, and I prayed the diagnosis wouldn't be what it is, and it is, and I prayed the relationship wouldn't break up, and it still broke up, and so that you have this childlike faith and this starting point, this framework. Now you're an adult and you're asking yourself, it's not making sense like it did when I was a little kid. And what started to happen was your faith began to maybe get chipped away a little bit. And maybe you can relate with a girl named Karen Armstrong. She said it this way. Many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God about the same time as we were told about Santa Claus. But while our understanding of Santa, the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology remained somewhat infantile. Not surprisingly, when we obtained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied that he existed. And so the reality is everything around us matured, but our view of God and the scriptures didn't. And so some of you, you went off to college with this pat statement, the Bible says, and somebody started to question you, and you folded. Because they didn't take your answer, well, the Bible says. And so you began to question even deeper. And then as you got into adulthood, the experiences that you had didn't match up with the childlike faith that you were taught and the gap 
continued to grow. But here's the good news. The Bible says was never meant to be the starting point for Christianity. In fact, the New Testament wasn't even put together until hundreds of years after Jesus was here on earth. And so, honestly, if you look back at church history, some of the the greatest days in church history, when the movement began to move around the world, they didn't even have a Bible. They did it all without a New Testament. They had had some some parts of the New Testament, some letters, but it hadn't been bound and put together, and you didn't have like the big one on your coffee table that nobody really reads, but it kind of looks nice. They didn't have that, and the movement of Jesus moved forward, and so this idea that the Bible says is the foundation of Christianity just isn't true. And so my goal this morning is is not for you to leave and believe that anything is true. That's between you and God. But for you to listen to someone who knew those who knew Jesus. And he presented the message of Christianity to a highly intelligent group that had never heard it before. His name was the Apostle Paul and it's when he interacted with people in Athens. And so if you have your Bibles or you can look in the app, let's, let's kind of take a, a bird's eye view and maybe enter into this conversation of with, as Paul is having a conversation with people that are highly intelligent but know nothing about Jesus and this whole movement and story. And Paul interacts with them. And in this interaction, we see kind of clearly what is the foundation for Christianity. Acts chapter 17, it says this in verse 16, it says, while, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So Paul, man, he's, he's hanging out in Athens, he likes to hang out, probably been to a coffee shop or two, and he's enjoying the, the big city, and, but something that he's noticing in the big city is everywhere he goes, there's shrines, and there's statues, and there's kind of idols, false gods, and I mean, just everywhere, and so it kind of bothers him, and so we pick up in verse 17, it says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So Paul was just having conversations. He was talking with people that were followers, but some of them were not. They were just in the marketplace. And it says this, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. So how many of you, I want to ask you to raise your hand, but if, you, if you've sat down with somebody who has a very philosophical mind, and if you're the type that doesn't have a really philosophical mind, you get lost probably in some of those conversations. But man, they, if you have a really philosophical mind, you don't mind sitting down and just throwing out a question and just sitting there and talking about it and thinking about it for a long time, hitting every angle of it. I'm not that type of person, but these are the type of people that Paul was interacting with. These are, these are philosophers that what they did for their life was talk and think about stuff. And so he's beginning to interact with them, and, it, and, and here's what they say. Some of them ask, what is this babbler trying to say? Like, we've never heard what Paul's saying. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. 
They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Everything Paul talked about related to Jesus and, and the resurrection. He had talked to people that had seen Jesus alive. He, he had interacted with Jesus himself, at, at the resurrected. So, man, he just was talking about that. And they're saying, we have never heard this. This sounds crazy. And then they did this. Verse 19, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? And so I think we have a picture of this area. Uh, this is an area, you can go to this place, the Areopagus, and, and this is a place where they would come together on this hill and they would debate civil trials and they would give judgments and they would also determine and talk about religions and if this religion had kind of validity and if we were even going to allow this religion to be part of our society and so they say okay Paul you've said enough come up here to this area and let's just hash this thing out and so they, they bring him here and, and, and here's what it says in verse 20 you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears we would like to know what they mean so Paul then, he stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Like it's obvious you're extremely religious. You've got a God on every corner, it seems like. It's like Starbucks in Seattle. It's like, man, yeah, you can see three or four of them from the one you're at. And, and so, I mean, there's like, it's obvious that Seattle, you love coffee. It's obvious, Athens, that you are very religious. And then he says this, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. So you guys are so religious, you're afraid you missed one, and so you don't want to leave that one out in case it comes to visit, and so you've actually put up a, a God and just called it the unknown God to kind of cover all your bases. Like that's how religious these people were. Just in case this God happens to show up. Because these people, as smart and wise and philosophical as they were, they were still uncertain. Similar to us. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty in religion. That's why you have people that they go to church on Easter and they go to church on Christmas. They don't really know why they go, but they just feel like that's what they're supposed to do. They may not even believe in God, but it, it, there's there's... There's something in them that says, yeah, I probably should do that. That's why you have people that wear crosses, and they, they, don't, they just wear the cross. They're not really sure what it's all about, and, but they know that's kind of an important symbol, I think, so I'm going to wear it around my neck. It, it, it's why people pray to a God they don't even believe in. I mean, you have people, man, when they're going through a hard time, they're praying to God, they're asking you to pray for them, and they don't even believe in the God. But they just feel like, because there's a lot of uncertainty and so Paul, instead of avoiding the, that uncertainty, man, Paul, he leveraged it and he kind of leaned in to the uncertainty that these very wise philosophical minds had. It says this, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. Like you're real smart, but you're not even sure who you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built with human hands. Paul says, you know this unknown God? He's like, I'm going to leverage this unknown God thing because I'm going I'm to point him to who the real God is. And he says, hey, this unknown God, 
you, you can't even fit this God in the temple. This God is so big, so magnificent. There's, no, there's nothing you can make with your hands to house this God that I'm talking about. I'm sure it's the God you guys are talking about too with your unknown God. But man, this God is a big God. And he goes on, he says, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. In this society, people would like, they'd bring incense to their God, like their God needed incense. They'd bring food to their God. They'd serve their God. And, and Paul's like, this unknown God, he doesn't need your service. He doesn't need anything from you. He's totally self-sufficient. And, and Paul goes on, he says, rather he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. This, this word reach out, here's what he's saying. It's literally the same word as what it, what it would look like to grope in the darkness when you're in the dark and you're just grabbing for something. He's saying, this God, he, he made everything and, and he, he's reaching out to you and, and you're just grabbing and you're grabbing and this God, he, he, he did this because he wants you to grab him. He wants you to know him. This God wants relationship with you as Paul continues to go on. This God is not like any of your gods. And then Paul goes on. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. So Paul moves away from Scripture, and he, he goes to some of their philosophy and some of their poets, and he quotes their own people back to them. And then he says this, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And so Paul, as he's, as he's kind of closing up this conversation, he says, this God who made everything, this God who, you, you, you can't build a statue of this God. You can't build a temple and fit this God in. This God's different than any God you've ever experienced or thought up. This, this God is way bigger than that. This God has on purpose created this, it, this way so that you would reach out to him. This God he knows that in the past you've, you've kind of been ignorant of this, but now you know there's a true God, and because of that, you need to change your mind about God. It's the word repent. He says, now that you know who the true God is, you should change your mind about this God. And, and what's interesting, these people in this conversation, they haven't said anything back to Paul. So they're good with like, okay, your God created everything. They didn't question that. Okay, your your God, he we're, we're ignorant, and, and your God is this is the the big true God, and, and they didn't say they didn't no feedback, no pushback. But then what Paul's about to say is what you see some pushback at, because Paul he's laying all this out, and man, they're they're listening, they're probably smoking their cigars and listening to to Paul, you know, talk, and they're taking it all in. But then he says, here's what Paul says. He says, you know, all this stuff I'm talking about, 
this God doesn't just, isn't just what I'm talking about. He actually gives you proof that all this is true. Proof. We're talking about religion. There's not proof in religion. No, no, Paul's like, no, this God gives you proof that what I just said is true. There's proof. And for these people, man, this, this is, there's, they're philosophical minds. There's not proof. And so Paul, he goes on and he says in verse 31, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man, talking about Jesus, he has appointed. And he has given proof. See, that's why this unknown God thing for them, that's why they even had it, because they didn't believe in proof. Like, you can't prove this. That's why we have to have a kind of a, uh, like a security blanket, like a catch-all God just in case we miss one. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. This God actually gives you proof. See, proof moves us from this hope-so religion to a no-so. And so what, what's the proof? And he says this. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So Paul's saying, you know, I didn't read about this. I didn't hear somebody that told somebody that told somebody that told somebody about this. Like, I talked to somebody that saw the empty tomb. I, I actually interacted with the resurrected Jesus. So, so when I'm talking to you about proof and how, how this God that has created everything, this God that, that loves you, this God that has actually created this system to have a relationship with you, he, he's done all that, but he's actually given proof because I know you're going to be skeptical of it. So this, this Jesus actually went to the cross and rose from the grave and you can go talk to people about it. You don't have to guess. You don't have to believe me. Go talk to the people that saw him. He's given us proof. He raised Jesus from the dead to give us proof that he is who he claimed to be. And it says this, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, they fell on their knees and repented and set about destroying their idols and altars. And the whole, that, almost that whole verse is absolutely fake. Wouldn't that be a cool way to end this story? Like if it was just a cute Bible story, that'd be a really cool way. Okay, oh, he, he talked about the resurrection and man, they all like, yes, we're in, sign us up. We're t- tearing all these idols down, we're all in. But that's not really the verse. That was a fake verse. That was the Chris Fincham version. Here, here's what the verse actually says. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Of course they did, because dead people stay dead. But others said, hmm, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. So most of them said, you know what? We were with you till you started talking about people raising from the dead. And we were cool with you, and, and you know, we were you know, kind of even liking some of the stuff you're saying, but then you, then you said there's proof, and then you said the proof is that somebody rose from the dead, and dead people stay dead, and, and so we're, we're not buying that. 
And so most of the crowd said, you know what, we don't want anything to do with that. And they kind of made fun of Paul, and Paul was okay with that. He was used to that, and they kind of went their own way. But a few of them said, you know what, you're telling me this happened in Judea just a few years ago? You're telling me you know people that actually witnessed the resurrection? You're telling me that you interacted with the resurrected Jesus on your way to kill other Christians? Paul's like, yeah. He said, at first, I mean, I, I didn't buy into this stuff. In fact, I, I was the biggest opponent to the whole Jesus movement. I, I was the guy trying to stamp the whole movement out. I didn't buy into it for the first few years. And, and then I interacted with the resurrected Jesus, and that changed everything. All the stuff that I had, had, had heard about and, and kind of thrown to the wayside when I interacted with the resurrected Jesus. And then I had a conversation with Peter and John and Luke and Mark and James, Jesus' brother. And I began to talk to them and they told me about Jesus and the resurrected Jesus. It changed everything for me. And, and Paul says, you know what? God's done this because he's given us proof because he wants us to know. Man, he knows us. He loves us. And he can be known. See, your starting point for the Christian faith is not the Bible. As much as we love the Bible, that's what we talked about, why we believe it's true last week. But at the end of the day, the starting point for, for the Christian faith isn't just, hey, just believe or just have more faith. No, the starting point for the Christian faith is a question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? It's personal. See, when Paul has his one opportunity with people who don't know anything about the story... He starts with creation. He talks about how God cares and how God revealed himself through a, a man, Jesus, and that there's proof because this Jesus rose from the dead. See, the starting point is a question. And it's when we answer that question that many of our other questions take care of themselves. It starts with the question, who is Jesus? And so think about this. What if you walked away from a system, a church, a group, Christianity, and it was never about those things? What if what you truly walked away from was a person? Because th this whole thing was, was never about a system. This whole thing was never about a, a specific church or a way of life. What if you're rejecting an actual person, Jesus? What, what if the, the, what we're resisting is not a, a system or, or a church? What if we're actually walking away and resisting Jesus? And I think for Paul, he, he wanted to be so clear because he was talking to people in this case that were philosophical. They were smart. Paul was brilliant himself. And he wanted them to know, man, this God's not like any of your gods. He loves you. He cares for you. He created you. And he gave you proof that he loves you, cares for you, created you by raising Jesus from the dead. And the starting point to this whole thing is, who is Jesus? So if you're, maybe you're here and you're, you're kind of find yourself in that skeptic lane. 
if anything that I just said is true, don't you owe it to yourself to ask, who is Jesus? Don't you owe it to yourself to take your, the religious baggage that you've had in your life and it wasn't your fault and it was other people's fault and there, there was a lot of hurt by the church and all that. What, what, if, what if you could set that aside and just fresh take a fresh look and ask yourself, it's not all, all about all that, but it's all about Jesus. And so who is Jesus? Because when we look at that and, and and for most of us if you're if you're skeptical there's probably a little bit of an internal battle already going on and maybe on the outside we keep it cool and we keep it like we have it together but on the inside there's an issue and maybe the issue isn't about the system or the church it's about a person and so maybe we take a fresh look and just say hey i'm not signing up for anything yet but i'd be willing to take a fresh look at who is Jesus. And if you're a follower of Christ, maybe you say, Chris, you know, I wouldn't put myself in that skeptic lane, but I would put myself more in the lane of, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've followed him for a few years. What if you made the pursuit of Jesus your highest calling? What if it wasn't all about checking boxes in a system? What if it was about pursuing a person? What if it wasn't about pursuing man's approval? What if it wasn't about keeping all the rules? What if, it, what if we didn't make kind of that, the, the, what we look at to make sure we're good with God? What if we just said, hey, I'm going to make this whole thing about pursuing a person and his name is Jesus. I'm not going to make it about the system. What if intimacy with Jesus would actually lead to clarity in your marriage, in your parenting? in your role at work, in your future? What if the pursuit of Jesus actually filled in the gap for all the other places in your life that there's a gap? What if it lent clarity to all the places in your life that you have tension? It doesn't mean it cleans it all up and makes it all great, but what if it gave clarity to that instead of trying to figure out a system for everything? What if we just said, let's just pursue Jesus? And and what if the verse, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you, actually was true? What if it was? I said, this is not the Mother's Day message I thought I was getting this morning. But what if we just made it all about Jesus? And, And what if we said, hey, if you're a skeptic, man, investigate with us. Man, man, we don't have it all together. We don't have all the answers, but we know who does, and we're all about pursuing Him, and we think that our marriages, we think we'll be better dads and moms if we pursue Jesus, we think we'll we'll be a light at our workplace, we think it'll help us in our school if we just get to know Jesus better. See, Paul, as he left that day, he left them with the question, who is Jesus? As we close, with every head bowed and every eye closed, today's an awesome day as we celebrate hope. We celebrate people in our life who have, for many of us, given us a lot of hope, our moms. But we also, some of us, we, we look at Mother's Day and it's not as happy of a day. We've already mentioned that. And, and here's what's so good. 
whether today's a great day for you or today's a terrible day for you because of some things that have happened, what's beautiful is that Jesus can fill in all the places. The deepest hurts, the biggest questions, and, and you can walk through life and get to the end of your life and not even have all the answers, not have all the gaps filled in. But the question that you do need to have really understood is and decided for is who's Jesus? Is Jesus truly God? Did he truly come to earth, live a sinless life? Did he die on a cross And did he rise from the grave? And if he did, it changes everything. Lord, I pray for each of us as we have big questions. Lord, some of us in this room have been deeply hurt by people that said they were doing it in the name of Jesus. Lord, people in this room have seen things that that people have said you signed your name to, Lord, that you never signed your name to, and Lord, they've been hurt. Some have walked away, Lord, from a Jesus of the Bible that, uh, that they've been explained to, but, but it's not even the true Jesus. They've been, they've been told about a, a Jesus that was a made-up Jesus, not really the Jesus of the Scriptures. And Lord, I pray no matter where we find ourselves, that at the end of this day, we walk out of this room with the excitement and just at least leaning into the idea that, you know what, I'm going to pursue Jesus. If you're skeptical, you're going to say, hey, I'm I'm just going to, maybe I won't even tell anybody because I don't want them to get too excited, but I'm going to lean in a little bit more and I'm going to reinvestigate this thing. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that you've, you've been following Jesus for a long time, but if you're honest, you don't even know the Jesus you're following very well. And for you, it's just, hey, I'm going to lean in and get to know Jesus intimately, knowing that as I get to know him, it will help me in all the other areas of my life. Lord, I pray that you would use your word and your spirit to change us as we get to know your son better. In Jesus' name, amen.